Welcome to Noble Warrior. My name is CK Lin. Noble Warrior is where I interview multi-dimensional entrepreneurs about their spiritual disciplines. We deconstruct their mindset, mental models, and actionable tactics so you can take them and engineer your life with more impact and fulfillment. Of course, if you have any entrepreneur friends who could use more inspiration and actionable tactics and more permission to be who they are, please share this with them. They'll thank you for it. My next guest is Ava Pipiton. They are a general partner with Permanence Capital. They are the CEO of Suyana Technologies. They are a Summit Series Fellow. They are an entrepreneur, advisor, and futurist. We talked about their purpose, building that infrastructure for emergent consciousness to stabilize our planet. We talked about their mental models of honoring their purpose and making them fully ecstatic. We talked about the importance of having someone doing exactly what they want to do and doing it in such a way that feels resonant as a role model. The importance of having mentors to affirm their decisions and their path they're on. They're autodidactic, following their joy, finding their center, and finding out a way to stabilizing that is how she navigated the different transitions in her life. We talked about the importance of cultivating the feeling of ecstasis and how that sense of playful contribution is what most people yearn for and how the heart is a quantum computer and the mind is a linear computer and listening to the expansiveness of that heart allows for constructive decisions. We discussed the latest inner technologies that they found to prioritize our wetware and train our body to calibrate our nervous system for a healthy interaction with larger data sets. Lastly, we talked about their spiritual disciplines to induce neuroplasticity and within the right containers to heal trauma. Please enjoy my conversation with Ava Pipitan, the CEO of Suyana Technologies. Hi, CK. Thanks so much for having me on here. It's an honor to be in connection with you and with all the listeners here today. Um, Thank you for the introduction. And the only thing I would add is I'm the possibility for grounded evolution. And I really am dedicating my life to building that infrastructure for emergent consciousness to stabilize on our planet. And, uh, you know, the conversation can go anywhere today. Uh, I want to create a little a context for, you know, who I have been as a setting for who, who I'm being now. And you mentioned Summit, so that that fellowship was in relation to the work I was doing with the first SaaS company that I co-founded called Host Home Inc. And it's a platform for public-private partnerships in affordable housing, right? So I, I like to say in a past life, I was a government technology startup entrepreneur. Um, and looking forward today with you to breaking down the journey from that space to where we are today. Yeah, so I'm particularly excited to be speaking to you for a number of reasons, because you're a technologist, we can geek out on technology, but also on this podcast, let me just set the framework real quick. On this mm -hmm. podcast, we talk about the hero's journey a lot. And specifically, we talk about the pivotal moments when they essentially you know, destroy their old identity and create new ones. And then for a lot of entrepreneurs who was being on the show, we talked about 
you know, maybe a dissolution of their marriage, maybe a dissolution of their business, maybe a dissolution of, you know, um, you know, from entrepreneurship to uh, philanthropist, right? Different phase of life per se. I've never spoken to anyone who um, essentially shift their gender yet. So I'm very curious to know, not necessarily focus on that specific aspect of who you are, but really using that as a way to discuss like the journey of actually reinvent yourself, letting go of your identity to create new ones. So if you don't mind going back to um, your own hero's journey of how you experience this transition in gender and all these things, I think that would be really uh, illustrative. Love it. Love it. Um, so I like to say I've always been who I am and it's just a process of shedding the layers who I, who I thought I was and the masks that I was trying on for a time. So, you know, I've been on every continent on the planet except for Antarctica. And, and as I was traveling after undergrad, I had a beard on my face and I was, uh, I found myself in Mumbai and Bombay, right? And there was this one specific time we're in an auto rick, uh, it's a motorcycle with a bench on the back, <laughs> and we're bouncing around to this intersection. And I'm there with my girlfriend at the time and couch shifting host, and this is like 2010, right? Um, maybe 2011. And we come to this intersection, there's just unpaved, so dirt, smoke, dust, at least 10 roads converging, chaos. And in the middle of all of this is a woman dressed in what seemed like ceremonial adornment, um, purple and blue, slowly clothes. And she locks eyes with me. And I'm in the back of this, this auto rick bouncing around. She locks eyes with me and she walks to us. And as we're zooming along, she's walking towards us. And then we meet and she puts her arm into our auto rick and grabs my arm, looks me right in the eyes and says, hello, family. And then just like pulls her arm back and puts it over her heart. Um, my couch host, uh, my host was convinced that I had just been cursed. My girlfriend was just silent when what happened. Um, and and what I later learned is this woman was a hijra. Oh, what's and, that? Uh, hijra. So it, it's a uh, you know a white person talking, but I go to the source for for a better explanation. But from what I understand, um, they're they're cultural stewards of the the Indian culture, especially Mumbai and. They were involved in rites of passage, so doulas at birth and death. Uh, they oversee marriages, and they come to your home to, to bless you for other, other life milestones. And they're born with uh, like primary sex characteristics commensurate with male, right? But they live as women. And mm. the process of that is diet-based and, and spiritual. So mm. they become this honored role in society. But remember, my couchsurfing host said you're going to be cursed. Right. So if to remember how the Indian culture interacted with globalization and these culturally valued members of society became devalued. And what she was doing in the middle of the intersection was asking for money. Mm. So I create this story to say that was a time where I had a beard on my face. I was traveling the world. Um, I was not yet an entrepreneur in my identity. I was just a, a seeker. And. I encountered a part of myself in connection with this woman that I didn't even know was there. It wasn't until a year later that I sat down and said, hey, you know, I have this dissonance with how I'm being and I want to talk about it. And then I un uncovered 
that my childhood was actually pretty different than other people's, although I had thought it was normal. And I began the journey. So I, I moved back to Baltimore City. Um, and it's a bit closer to biological family in case things went wrong when you're changing your endocrine system. And I started, you know, getting to know myself, trying stuff. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Be before yeah. you started yeah. doing the, the, the shifting process yet, sure. uh, I'm sure it wasn't one day you wake up, all right, I'm going to go through the endocrine system change, right? I'm sure it's a, it's a process in itself. So internally, especially, could, if, could you zoom in on sort of the decision process? And then I want to, again, use this as a way to, for anyone who is going through their own identity change, whatever that may be, for them to kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling this way. I'm, I yeah. have these indicators and like da 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 da. So yeah. if you don't mind, thank you. Yeah, there's a, when you try on clothes, do they fit, right? And, and if they don't fit, you know right away, right? Not just how, how it looks, but how it feels. And then is this actually functional and, and what, I'm, what I'm here to do, is this serving that purpose or, or not? So when looking at my embodiment at the time, was this serving the purpose that I was here to do or not? Was this making me feel alive, ecstatic or not? Um, and it turned out that I had tasted ecstasis and it wasn't, it wasn't in the way, the way I was aesthetically looking. You so, had tasted, I'm sorry, what was the word they used? I use ecstasis, like really ecstatic and live. Oh. Okay. I, I love every bit about this. Okay, and good. I, I tasted that in, um, in childhood, um, just in being included in spaces that were not gendered, being in connection with people who were women and being in connection with people who are men and being able to go between them. And when those, when that wasn't a possibility for me anymore, I would experience like, a, like my body didn't like it. And when I looked in the mirror, my body didn't like it. And it was really, and we didn't talk about this too much uh, yet. CK, this is kind of new content for, for us. And this is relatively like internal, but if you're looking at um, say like a chair in a hallway, and it looks like a like everybody says that's a chair at the end of the hallway. And you see like a pile of kind of sticks, not really looking like a chair. But if you take one step to the left, that force perspective aligns and it actually looks like a chair and you see what everybody else has been seeing. But you're one step to the right and you see like a stick six feet, a stick, a stick at 12 feet, another piece at 14 feet. And people are telling you it's a, it's a chair, but it really looks like chaos. I was living in that chaos. And when I first entertained the possibility that, well, maybe my embodiment is off and maybe these, this affinity with any experience of transgender that I, that I encountered in the culture was actually a possibility for me um, and that I should consider, I, I felt as I could see the chair. I felt that I was ecstatic. I felt that my body was, yes, internal knowing, expansiveness. Mm. And I said, well, can I stabilize that? Can I stabilize that? Well, in in my society, right, I grew up in, in the United States in Maryland, and there was no example of that stabilized and also contributing and productive. There was Jerry Springer, right? There was there was uh, like Mrs. Doubtfire, I think it's called Mrs. Doolittle. Whatever. There was some TV shows and some movies. It was Tootsie. There was like it was some things that were just strange. It didn't resonate with me at all. But when I went to around the world, everywhere I went, not just India, I encountered examples of culturally revered instances of non-dualist embodiment, right? Non-reproductive bodies that were, um, you know, reproduc reproducing culture and stewarding, stewarding these art, music. 
et cetera, and, and, and even, even ceremonial responsibility. And that was attractive. So uh, to kind of, you, you mentioned like bring in the mental model and then the focus, it was really finding some, some example of someone doing what I wanted to be doing, which was feeling good and feeling aligned and feeling clear, doing it and, and doing it in such a way that it addressed what I had felt as dissonant before. I see. So quick recap, mm -hmm. you felt dissonant in the body and then you were also looking at some of the cultural icons, right? Whether it's from movies or the, you know, TV shows and you're like, okay, it's not that you want You were looking for essentially positive role models. Like, oh, okay. Can I imagine myself or put myself in those situations to say, oh, okay. That may be a possibility. Is that accurate? Yeah, and everything I tried on, I'd look around, and it's like everything I saw in, in the American culture was just not it. And when I went around the world, I saw these ancient examples that were it, that were they were doing something important. They were they were they were honored. It was an, it was an honor in your society, in your family if you had a child that grew up to be this or that, right? And I can go around the world and, and give you examples of these these types of of you know non-gendered or, or third gender or or really non-dualist type of embodiment that are that are that are celebrated, like the Mahu in Hawaii, like. Um, there in, in Indonesia, there are five genders, right? And the, the, the arbiters, the, typically like judges and lawyers have a really non-binary embodiment where they, mm. they do that to really, really live the role of being neutral mm. and having the legal weight behind their decisions. So mm. I, I saw all these exciting examples and I said, why didn't I learn these in school? They would have alleviated this pressure that I'd been repressing my whole life, and once I began to let that out and take a take baby steps towards trying on a new way, you know, I went I went pretty far in, then I came back, right? I went pretty far into the feminine spectrum, and and I you know I was like a very different person for a couple of years, and then I came back into this non-binary space, and mm -hmm. I feel like oh wow, that's that's complete. That's I feel really clear here. Um, I can and I can talk about that process. Did you ever have I mean, that's, I, I would say that's pretty ballsy in terms of courageous rather yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to like go into like, oh, I have an idea of who I am. It doesn't feel right. And let me just go into the feminine. Like, because mm -hmm. most people want like a guide, a Sherpa, a mentor to assure you, you know, that the water is warm, it's safe, so on and so on before it jump right into the deep end. So did yeah. you have... Yeah. You, did you seek him out? Or yeah. Like yeah. So 100%. Uh, when I came to Baltimore, uh, it was yeah, 2014. And I started the process of, hey, I'm going to take a step towards who I, I'm going to take a step towards feeling good. Right. I've, I felt good um, once or twice while traveling because I've noticed these examples. I'm going to take a step towards feeling good. I'm going to start changing the way I look. And uh, in that process at that time, there were, few examples um, of really economically contributing out queer people on the East Coast. I have no idea what you said. What does that uh, mean? Uh, so the people that I encountered in that were on that path were in the survival economy. Mm -hmm. And that means, you know, selling anything they could to live, right? Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the example that I wanted to be with. So mm -hmm. I ended up joining a worker cooperative cafe and I became an owner 
and, and very rapidly, I was an out trans person who looked kind of funny, uh, but I was, I was speaking on the microphone at events. I was interacting. We had a big cafe space called Red Emma's Worker Cooperative. It could see 300 people. It had a free school, vegan menu. And I was, I was reworking the uh, front of house policies. And then I would work some shifts in the front of house. I was very visible and I was transitioning in front of people. And uh, customers would come in every day. I would, I would have no more facial hair. Or I'd have longer he- hair. And then I would have different clothes. And people were saying, you know, what's going on with your changes? And I, I would talk about it. So mm. I didn't have directly a role model right away. But in that position, um, I drew a lot of attention in city politics. And I drew a lot of attention from the trans folks who were what we call stealth. So the people you can't see, you can't tell, just look like any old man or woman out there. And there were, there's a specific elder named Monica Yorkman who came to me and said, hey, Ava, you have a lot of potential. Let me, let me take you under my wing. And she brought me into the world of advocacy. Why, 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 why the potential? Is it because your mastery in language, the way you look? I mean, why, why the potential? Every other trans person in Baltimore at the time was, as I mentioned, the survival economy. And I was saying, no, I can be an autodidact. I can figure this out. I can do this. Um, you know, at, at the time, I would talk to people at the register at these events about how to um, access, uh, you know, access medical care before we had policies that affirmed it. So I was saying, you know, what hormonal ratios could do this to your secondary sex characteristics, like what diet could optimize this for sleep, like how you could maximize IGF-1 to promote secondary sex characteristic development and how you could use fatty A acids to reallocate fat storage on your body. You're how a you biohacker use- for yes. Yeah, yeah. So I was like biohacking <laughs> myself um, and I was just nerding out about it, um, autodidact. And I, I like, shared that and she, was, she just came and she's like, Ava, you're really smart. You have access to more information than I did when I was doing this because she's 65 at the time. And, and you know, I want you to have a microphone in front of you so the young trans people can have someone to look up to. And so you can help these, the doctors in this space learn what it's like to figure it out on your own and then give them a little bit of lived experience to kind of uh, guide the policy that they're, they're deciding that they have no lived experience in relation to it. So I became this kind of consultant for um, hospital, like for the LGBTQ medical center. And then I, I, got, uh, I was the assistant to the executive director and then became the executive director of the Baltimore Transgender Alliance all in, in, in about a year's time. Um, because of my autodidactic, um, you know, following of my joy, finding my center, and finding out a way to stabilize that feeling of alignment. Yeah, possible. I I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, that's that's extraordinary to to what most people would do because most people want that. Is it safe? It is. Let me be a little bit more public. Is it safe? It is. Let me be more public. So on, so on. Right. If you think about anything podcasting, entrepreneurship, you know, trans transitioning your gender. It's, it's all kind of like that. Right. But you just said, no, I'm going to be public. Boom. Right there. <laughs> That's like, how did you overcome the internal resistance of being in public? Mm, I like this question. I had a different view of privacy and purpose at the time. And I knew that I had received a really strong education. I went to Fordham University. Before that, I went to a 
a private high school and I had taken advanced courses in like world religions and theology and ethics and economics and you know I was an honor student and I was a really good orator at the time and you know, I, it's a different forums and mediums that we use for speaking these days but I really enjoyed um, cultivating the energy of a group uh, and, and, and creating some directionality around that. I, I feel like spoken word is a, is a, is a, a, a vehicle for healing. Um, and I just enjoyed it. So why to be so public? Because no one else was being public. And this was happening, right? This was happening. And I knew, and this was a little bit of my own content at the time, it's now been verified by people like uh, Professor Keith Fogg Davis and Beyond Trans Does Gender Matter? And I can, there's other resources I could, could do to echo this, but there is a point in cultural maturity when a nation uh, or a culture, let's start there, when a culture stabilizes beyond uh, needing to quantify reproductive capacity and they say, okay, we have enough units of labor, we have enough units of innovation and we don't need to continually quantify that. So they, they, are, they expand uh, pairings beyond economics. So they could, that's when homosexuality becomes accepted. That's when gender expands beyond binary. And we had, uh, like, that was happening in the United States, right? That was happening in 2014 in the United States. And I knew it. Some of the other thought leaders in the space knew it. And our coffeehouse and bookstore was on the, the kind of book release tour for a lot of the emergent uh, public intellectuals in the um, kind of radical space, the uncensored space. So we had folks coming in and talking, and I was often leading the panels and engaging the content. So I was right at the forefront of this theory, and I was walking the walk that I was talking. Yeah. Was it accidental that you happened to be in the nexus of this wave that was coming, or is it more by design? Like, hey, I'm going to put myself in a forum, you know, on a platform when I get to interact with thought leaders, of my interests, so on, so on. Good question. Um, so it was as by design as it could be. However, I didn't know the scale uh, and the reach of that, that space when I first joined. I knew the space was aligned. It was a space where I could learn about kind of the, the DIY, the autodidactic, the underground of um, really like biohacking, of consensus decision-making, of distributed ledger technology of AI ethics. I was just fascinated by all the topics that are being discussed in this info shop space. And I said, hey, this info shop? What's yeah. that? What's it's, that? A, it's, a, it's a type of independent bookstore that has uncensored information. So raw ideas and they support independently published content. And they're a bit of a relic of the days before blogs, but that was the spot you went to get caffeine and, and, and critical ideas. Yeah, oh, like the uh, old idea of salons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was a constant salon, right? And I knew this was the place to be. It just felt like the place to be. So by going into it, I just knew I wanted to be in that world. I didn't know that Red Emma's Worker Cooperative was you know, a 14-year-old institution that was like the premier info shop on the East Coast. And you know, let me just like kind of qualify this and say, hey, I went into that world and learned a lot about how to criticize and how to how to deconstruct systems and by looking at the data points of where they on the ground affect people. And at the time I was using empathy as my compass. So I could see harm and I would move towards harm, understand it, and then go to systems 
uh, designers and, and, and people closer to levers of change and speak the possibility of a new type of design that, that includes these new data. Right. Right? Back up, but back up to sentence, you will see harm and then you will use empathy. I would use empathy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. can you uh, just elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, and I wanted to say like that is not the way to do it anymore, right? Okay. So at the time, I was young and I said, hey, let me go towards these people doing this new thing and see how I can be of service or see what's, what's wrong here. And because I had access to people in government, people in business, I could then actually make a difference, right? I could build an organization. I could start a government technology software platform for homo services, taking the learnings of all of the trans folks who continually fall through the cracks and build something that where they won't fall through the cracks, right? So I was using empathy as my compass to find and feel my way towards where the problems were. But what I learned was I was getting hurt too, right? I was jumping in the Hudson River after these people and I was drowning too. So it was, it was maybe 2018 and 2017 when I said, you know, Back in the old days. Yeah, I had, a, I had some kind of maxed out on my empathy and realized that I wasn't helping. I was actually just being a bystander to an enabler of some of the harm that, that, that was being caused um, through the containers that we have before us. And I started saying, you know, what I can do is heal myself. What I can do is remember that feeling of, of ecstasis that catalyzed my transition or my gut was on fire with electricity and said, Hey, I should do this. What if I go back to cultivating that? And while maybe I'm not on the front lines of legislative change in the LGBTQ movement, maybe I can have, maybe I won't be in that, that vicarious trauma space and maybe, or even tertiary trauma. Maybe I'll be just in the innovation space. Um, and I encountered an idea that, you know, what we're supposed to do is find the healing that works for us. And when we do that, we're supposed to, we take that healing and we rediscover our play. And when we rediscover play, people come around because they all we want to do is play with one another, right? And connect. And when we're playing and connecting at that point. We can take that playfulness and create a contribution. And what the world needs is more people with that playful, joyous contribution, because that's where your genius is, right? And when I found that idea, I realized that what I love to do, that, that electric gut feeling I had at the beginning of my transition, also occurs when I am dancing, when I am working with inner technology like meditation and, and plant medicine, and when I'm building when I'm building new designs, new businesses, new products, and really being of service and creating value. And that brought me into a new chapter where I was no longer the activist, I was the builder. Yeah, just a pause for a moment. There's a lot of different directions we can go. I'm trying, yeah. to, I'm trying to decide in my head in real time which, which, which route I wanna go, we wanna go with. Um, I think it was Buckminster Fuller who shared this idea of instead of trying to fix, I'm paraphrasing, he, he said it much more eloquently, but, but he basically said instead of trying to fix the old world, create a new world that's so compelling that you know everyone wants to be part of. So is that what I'm hearing? Not projecting, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that so instead of being a, a militant, you know, an advocate to try to fix the old world? you wanted to essentially inspire people through this intrinsic uh, 
innate sense of joy and play such that everyone will want to create this new world. Is that an accurate reflection of what yeah. you share? Yeah, yeah you get it. You're, you're, you're right there. And it, it was a couple key realizations of, of Buckminster Fuller. Great, great anchor point, right? What is, I'm talking about futurists, right? And ecosystems, right? That, that's, that's kind of the two words I would anchor his thought in, right? The future of ecosystems and how to build systems that work and systems that have that centrophic evolution incentive to, to align the iteration and innovation towards, again, more harmony, more peace, more spaciousness, more people. That's, the, that's how we want to build and gamify anything we, we build such that it evolves in that alignment. Yes, Buckminster Fuller. Um, so for me, that was dance. And I started with just the first ecstatic dance that I discovered. And I said, hey, my inner world, you know, I, in my, when I'm on the dance floor, I don't know about you, CK, I don't know if you're a dancer or not, but when, when I'm out there, I have, I have a whole internal reality. Uh, you know, there's magic, there's flying, there's expression. And when I first connected in, in every step and every moment of, of what I was doing with another person on the dance floor, when I was just unleashing, I was just being me you know, not holding anything back. And then someone was in my inner world with me. Wait a minute, I can be as divergent as possible. I can be as goofy as possible and I can connect. That's awesome. I'm not gonna hold back anymore. And I just kept coming back to the score. And so we call it dance and in, in, in like contact improv and ecstatic, you call it a score. So I kept coming back to the score and I discovered other types of dance. Uh, contact improv is where you actually are in physical touch with someone and dancing and your biorhythms synchronize. Mm. Right? Your nervous system immediately seeks coherence. And just so you know, before you actually get into physical touch, there's the nervous systems are interacting, right? Mm -hmm. You have like two microphones and when they get close to each other, if they're at the wrong frequency, they'll make a dissonant squeal, right? If they're at the right frequency, they won't have that. So in contact improv and then in five rhythms, we talk about your approach to another person. When you get into the proximity of their energetic bubble, you can tell if it's a match or not. Mm. You can almost navigate with that felt sensation at distance, such that when you're getting within someone's energetic bubble, you're already in conversation mm. for however deep that connection will go. Mm. But I have a question. Sorry. Yeah. So the way you describe it is almost a palpable sensation. Is that is that accurate? Mm -hmm. I've never experienced that. So I, I you know, I'm kind of an energetic savant. So you know, I'm not that as energetically sensitive, but I am a curious student. I want to cultivate that. So dance, embodiment, you know, everything you talk about is a modality I'm eagerly you know, wanting to explore. So please continue with the five rhythm. Oh, got it. Thank you. Yeah. So this piece, when you're on the dance floor, you're on the dance floor. And ecstatic dance was the first time that the DJ spoke intention into the music. It was different from just a dance concert. It was different from a, a structured technical dance class. They were actually speaking into the space connect with the ground, connect with your breath, right? And I took that and I did that and I went deeper and I realized that others were doing the same. So what the sensation is, 
is it's as close to that inner I used to, I used the gut earlier but it's a somatic intelligence and it's a state of coherence and I would say your EEGs stabilize with the group and we know from research that when your EEG stabilizes with the group your nervous system relaxes and calibrates to the group and you're more successful you're more collaborative and when the DJ is driving the bus via the set and the score, they can actually pull us into that collaboration really well, right? So the, the sensation, it's, it's, it's like a knowing. And I think it's a little synesthetic. It's between our typically five segmented senses. And it's more of an emergent sensation from all of them happening in coherence. Mm. And I, I want to speak to the waves of five rhythm. So in there was a later discovery and that was really the, the best medicine because it's an explicitly sober space and it's a explicitly mindful space. And they say that the body in motion can can process anything. Right? It's a it's a meditative space. Mm. So when you're in the waves, the five waves, they'll go from melodic to staccato to deep bass to flutter to flow and whatever it is that's going on in your inner world goes through all of those transformations as well mm. so what happens inside of me is my spine opens up i ha typically have alignment and adjustments physically like my lower back will adjust my neck will adjust my knee will adjust and when that happens, you feel blood flow in areas that it wasn't before. And your bioelectric field has more coherence than before. So you're more sensate and connected with self in a room full of X amount of people who are doing the same. Mm, 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 mm. So you, you said that, you know, speak to, to folks who haven't experienced that. Um, if you can walk, you can dance. Right. And, and, you know, and also it's fully accessible. There's people that are seated for five rhythms classes and have different levels of physical ability that, that experience the whole connectivity. Um, I would really like to, to pull the dance back to my entrepreneurial journey, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and in that, so you're connecting in creation and in play in five rhythm. And then you encounter another person. And you connect it with self. Now you connect to another person and connect it with self. And then the dance ends. And they ground it. Like there's a meditation at the end. And, and then, you, you know, we go off into the world. And what are you up to? What are you up to? Without a doubt, every person that I connect with on the dance floor, being as absurd as I could possibly be, entrepreneur, investor, innovator. Without so, yeah. pause for a second. Yeah. One of the things that especially entrepreneurs, innovators, visionaries, these like outlier thinkers, you know, uh, I can't speak for you, but I speak for myself. It always feels a little bit of an outlier. I'm like, hey, man, I'm kind of a weirdo. These normal people who love their nine to fives are not really jamming to really my people. So, so as I get older, as I have higher, shall we say, development, or actually, no, more comfort with my own weirdness. Then started a podcast and then like, hey, you're a weirdo too. Love it. Great. Come on to a podcast. Let's talk about it. You know? 
hundred percent. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, like if you, if you take the arc of my story and kind of bring it into a little bit more simplicity, like I was, I was a really big weirdo at the beginning of my transition. And if it wasn't for the structural empowerment of a microphone in front of me and an organization behind me, I would just been a very strange looking person who was just a very articulate, strange looking person. And I, I took that and ran with it and just like, okay, like, if you don't think it's weird, I don't think it's weird. Let's go. Um, and really, despite that having, you know, taken a back seat, I think I've integrated a little bit my aesthetic into the world and I figured out how to rock the aesthetic that I have stabilized into. I, I still am, a, am, you know, I'm a biohacker. Um, I'm a, all into the health and wellness. You know, I, I wear like Vivo barefoot leather shoes and I, you know, drink vinegar and MCT oil and lime lime juice and cayenne pepper every morning to get my, you know, I'm also still, I'm still, you know, unique, but I think it allows me to be fully present. I think it allows me to, to like uh, skunk magic, right? I attract other skunks. I repel everybody else. And by virtue of us talking, like, I know, I know you're a little, you're also a little out there and there was some common threads that, that we, that we have, right? While you may not be in the dance community, um, inner technology is an umbrella term, right? It's an umbrella term because I can, I can mean meditation, like how I meditate for an hour every morning. Um, I can mean the imaginal realm work that I do that then I continue doing when I'm dancing, but then I literally invite people into the dance floor. And I can also mean plant medicine work and how to use that as an accelerant for aligned innovation and to relinquish uh, experiments that aren't working that you're still holding on to, right? When, when to stop a business. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Great. Before we go on, going down the rabbit hole of specific uh -huh. realities and everything, let's actually talk to those who uh, are not, who is questioning, like, why? Like, why, why does this embodiment coherence, you know, this brain heart coherence matter? And how mm -hmm. does it relate, how is it relevant to their, 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 experience of being the body how pleasant it is to be in the body and or their functional performance in life and so on and so on so if you can speak a little bit more about why they should even care about this coherence that we've been talking about got it well i believe that our brain has evolved for linear processing threat assessment right and that is we can talk about neuroscience the neuroscience of like, you know, is it dangerous or is it exciting okay is it novel could i do this myself okay or am i connecting with this idea am i critiquing it right and you have to satisfy that whole hierarchy before you actually engage somebody um you know neurologically even to 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 be interested in your venture be interested in your project you have to you know the the the, the flow of pitch is designed intentionally to satisfy the neurological assessment that we all have evolved to do but that's a linear process and, you know, we have a lot more technology inbuilt than just this. And I think it's a little bit overused when people say that our heart is the quantum computer and this is the linear computer. However, it's not inaccurate. And when we can really learn the felt sensation here of is this an expansive option? Is this an expansive vision? Is this an expansive connection? Or is this a constrictive? Is this feeling like are my are, are my psoas muscles tightening? 
Am I feeling something in my lower back or my neck? Then that, that's a no, your body knows that your linear brain may not have articulated yet. And with the rate of acceleration in infrastructure interconnectivity, right? The new sphere is being substantiated via telecoms innovation at an incredible rate. We have millions of minds coming online by 2G and 3G technologies over the next year. And that's going to continue. What the innovation space is going to continue to accelerate. Cultures are aware of each other. This, we, to integrate all of that in, in a timeline that works for maintaining peace on the planet, we need to start using this. We need to start using this. So one of my kind of side interests is actually what augmented intelligence can be in the future of augmented intelligence. Um, the world yeah, is going to- Yeah, I'll unpack the term augmented Intelligent. Uh, for sure. Um, let me couch it in the World Economic Forum has uh, ethics on AI, and uh, I'm, I'm a part of the Global Shapers, which is like a feeder pipeline for World Economic Forum contributors. Uh, and I've been in there for several years, and I've been in discussion now with the people writing the agenda for the AI ethics segment of WEF's conference this year. And I'm not affiliated with WEF officially, just Global Shapers as a subset. So, like, try to fight there. But when looking at augmented intelligence, we're talking about where can big data machine learning be applied in synergy with human intuition and the human ecosystem to uh, enhance our, our abilities. So it's really key in like risk mitigation and dangerous jobs like oil extraction um, or, or you know, space exploration or military combat. Like, but they'll, they'll essentially have augmented reality and big data insights and human intuition as to how to ingest that data and move through. So if you're in an oil rig and there's a pipe, uh, you're looking to preemptively address any infrastructural failures that might arise, you could have this data at your disposal as you walk through that could give you some data-backed insight as to where you should be focusing your attention. But at the end of the day, you've been on the job for long enough and you're gonna feel also where to go. And you know, there's, there's a, there's actually a book, I think it might be titled Augmented Intelligence, that goes into this in detail with some statistics around mm. uh, uh, companies that have leveraged this technology. But I am really interested in the future of, of uh, how we can optimize our wetware to, to synergize with neuromorphic technology, which is wearable devices that can train our body to calibrate our nervous system for a, a healthy interaction with larger data sets. And this gets nerdy and a little bit domain specific. So I want to make sure that we're keeping a space where listeners can, can have fun with it. But just to say in the future, our archival systems will be built in such a way that they can be intuitively navigated. So if you think of something, you can follow the file tree and directories to acquire the knowledge that you need and operationalize that knowledge. And if there's a sufficient neuromorph neuromorphic advancements in the wearable devices that we have, which means we can have uh, essentially BCIs or brain computer interfaces that are non-invasive, then we should all be able to access that kind of superpower. And it's time now, while if you're not in the heads down engineering of those projects, it's time for us to think about the, the integrity of their future application and the social impact and cultural impacts of their future application. And also what's possible in the innovation space with tools like that. And that's where I'm really excited as well. Yeah, same here. Uh, this brain, 
computing interface is really exciting. I think it was Elon Musk who said, um, basically, our ability to our fingers right now is the or our voice is the way to access data and it's super slow and then he's dreaming about his his new venture is this implant yeah. what is it called the new neuronet Neuralink. Yeah. yeah 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 as a way to access this computing um question i'm a huge believer of this cultivation of self-awareness because in my mind once I'm aware and I can attune to this coherence and from that place, then we create from a place from neutrality rather than, you know, some biases that I have and don't really know about. Um, so I'm a huge believer of we make what we are, but on your website, you say we are what we make. So if you can unpack, we are what we make versus we make what we are. I appreciate that very much. I love that. I love that. So I believe I've built everything that I am right now. And I've built my body. I've built my identity. And I've built my companies. And I've built my connections, networks, friends, family. And that creates a feedback loop such that they're all enrolled, right? They're all enrolled in the highest vision that I have for myself and I'm enrolled in the highest vision they have for themselves. And that's the, the feedback loop we've established, right? So everyone I'm in connection with only sees what's best and we, we gamify that. And it's impossible to like, get me to believe that I am like, when I'm in a negative space or I'm in a downward spiral of any kind, they won't let me, they, they, they can verify and, and bring me back into integrity with who I've been being, right? And they won't let me go down because we're all connected and we have integrity there. So I literally am who I say I am in relation to everybody that I'm in connection with. And I think that the word integrity is really critical there. So I build these things, they do something, create value in the world, and we articulate that with these words. and that's that's reality right in the beginning there was the word and from that sprung a whole new realm of, of, of possibility right like that's that's the first words of, of the torah and the, the judeo-christian bible because the language is the technology of creation so i said we are what we build and i, I meant it intentionally as an inverse on on, on and how you expressed earlier because it's it's about creating with our word, enrolling others in it, and then having that come back to us and verify. And then we go back to them and verify, and then we can go from there. We can work from there. And then in that space, we can start actually the construction of something bigger than either of us imagined. And, and that's what I'm about. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's kind of a leading question because for, for me, I believe actually is both, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I make the thing out of my own ideas and creation, my mindset, as well as now the thing it makes me because I'm using it. So case in point, social dilemma, the documentary, the the technologies that we build, social media, Twitter, Facebook, <clears throat> we make it as a way to serve, to help us find information that's that that we want, but ultimately it turned out to polarize you know, uh, our opinion, because it just serves us, uh, what, what we really want to hear. Right. So, yeah, 
No, 100%. The tool shapes us. And I, I think like what Tristan was going for in that, right? There's an unregulated market on manipulation. Hell of a punchline, right? And, and, and that's, we call it like psychometric behavioral change. Sure. And it's performance-based pay on psychometric behavioral change. That's, that's disturbing. That's, 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 but, but what he's saying, he's, he seems like you say, he's drawing attention to the fact that our tools shape us. So if we are going to use neuromorphic hardware, if we're going to use um, new systems for housing, right? What's, and there's going to be some AI recommending who should live with whom, what's that going to do to, to, to cultural innovation? And is it going to create a bias towards like coagulations of, of culture that that's feedback resistant, right? If it provides like in-group, out-group, or provides this like deep cultural alignment, is that good objectively? I, it can be very good in many ways, but it could also be feedback resistant. So I think that our tools um, create problems as they create value. And it's important to be conscious of all of that and then we can choose what to, to focus on, right? And I like to focus on that sensation that guides me, that when my gut's on fire and my heart's aligned and I can be in connection with someone. And even though in that connection there could be other aspects that are unconscious, we know that. And we've used our language to state intention that is, let's do this. And we can go from there. Okay, so let me recap what you're saying. So out of all the possibilities of any kind of problems that you can solve from the most global to, you know, to, to national, to community, to familial, to self, you come back to this sensation of, am I expanded or contracted versus am I inflamed or whatever, that, that subjective experience as the atomic unit of what guides your choice of projects to work on. Is that an accurate reflection? Yeah. Yeah. It has to make you come alive and your body has to verify that you're alive. Right. So it, you know, and I want to like clarify that too. Right. So that is, that is the atomic measure of, as you just said, that somatic awareness, but also like, I may think that what makes me alive is to, you know, a, B, C, and D, like to have a motorcycle and to like go skydiving. But then I, I get those things and I'm like, actually, skydiving's fun, but it, it, it's it's a it's like an adrenaline max out. But there's a lot of other ways you can get that that are actually longer, um, easier logistically, and and, uh, and have like a, a longer lasting um, joy. And so it's almost that your body knows that, and you need to get that data from your body to actually make the decision. So if you're looking at, um, so, uh, you know, if we have a bunch of, of deals, say, say permanence capital, we look at um, funding and catalyzing human performance. And we're, we're really interested right now in um, home health licenses. So like med spas and IV clinics and things as a vehicle for uh, the emergent therapeutics, right? Functional medicine and things. And in that space, we can have solid data on a company having just great multiples um, and, and just being a good asset, but do, does the team make us come alive? Does, does the, does a brand, is it positioned in such a way that is exciting and feels good? And if we go in the place, do we feel like that excited? There's, there's an intuition around it. And it. yeah, I want to push us back towards that kind of decision-making. Got it. So, so you don't just look at the deals, the numbers, but also how does 
how, how do the owners or the entrepreneurs or the staff make you feel as well as the brand? How does that make you feel? So you actually look at it from multiple lenses, that fractal lens, rather than just numbers, let's crunch numbers and see the multiples, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and to, because it's just because that if the, that felt sensation will show up in the numbers later. Yeah. So quick question. Uh, we're kind of doing a parallel track right now, but, but let's, when I look at the life through your lens, right? What makes me come alive so that I experience that. I can't say that word very well. Classes. Um, what are some of the systematic way that you can help this person? Um, keep track of what, whether, you know, is it ecstasies of 10 out of 10, the nine out of 10, things like that. Is there a way, you know, how do you think about it as a systematic way to, to yeah. explore it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would look at where you experience coagulation at any level. So if it's in your output and your productivity, if it's in your relationships, if it's in just getting through what you laid out for your work day, if you're experiencing coagulation or if it's in your body or in your digestion or in your emotions, any coagulation, it's time to run a process, right? And, and coagulation means what for you? Slowing down, being stuck. Um, oh, stuckness. Yeah. Think about mucus, right? It just not, doesn't feel good, right? There's, in the, in the plant medicine community, they have a different language, different cultures for it, but it's, it's like this phlegm. And when you're experiencing that, what I hope, what I help people with is having a really full tool belt where they have several different things they can do in those situations and they can run a program. Uh, so for me, it, you know, two o'clock PM, if I'm hitting that slump, my mud water has worn off and maybe I'm I need to, my, my qualia mind has run down. Uh, I pick up my bow staff and I go out for a 10 minute spin. My headphones are in and I'm, and I'm doing a, a, a flow for, for 10 minutes. And then I come back in and all of those problems do not feel the same There's a whole new algorithm that I'm looking at them through. Mm-hmm. But that's just one, right? Uh, and that works for me because I'm a bow staff dancer. But for people that, that don't have their flow dialed in yet or don't have their dance method dialed in yet, uh, we already talked about the breath today. And, you know, we, bring, we began this session with a little box breathing. Beautiful, beautiful addition. Um, I like to give the body more somatic awareness of itself. And really easy can be done uh, any time. I'm, I'm actually do right now. But when your thumb and forefinger touch, this completes a circuit in your nervous system. It's called the Gyan Mudra in, in yoga. Just having that as you're working, it gives your body awareness of its own bioelectric field. And it gives your body awareness of its own inner alignment. So you can have a, a heightened sense of intuition as to what postural changes need to happen to address that coagulation that I mentioned. And if you can stack on top of that, right, you can go and do your five, 10 minutes of movement, come back and sit with the own mudra and take a few breaths, right? And, and now and now you've just, you've just stacked and they all amplify one another. And now you'll have more flow. They'll have more coagulation. And that's not just bioelectric flow, it's cardiovascular flow and it's cerebral flow. So I'm, I'm a huge proponent of little things like that. And then since, since we, we talked about weirdness, I want to throw a, a little bit less common um, uh, thing I do out for, for people listening. Um, 
we have uh, like a lot of pent up. Uh, if we don't if we don't connect what we download to who's supposed to receive it, then it can get coagulated within us. So wait, wait, wait. one sentence. What did you just say? One more time. If we don't connect what we've downloaded to those who are meant to receive it, it can coagulate within us. So if you have an inspiration and you're supposed to steward a vision and then you, you know, can't figure out what to do with it or how to get it to be to, to stabilize, um, it, it may begin to cause harm in you. So it, it, that's a big example of smaller examples are just some kind of emotional dissonance or, or pain or maybe a traumatic experience. Uh, I am a big proponent of actually working with plants and you know, the biggest plant you can think of is a tree. And if you're just beginning, like you're, you're out on a walk and you can put your hand on a tree and lean, it's they love our waste product. So if you just breathe and exhale into a tree, it can take every bit of your the energetics of what you're not no longer using and just compost it. And you can feel it go right down into the roots and then you can breathe back in and take whatever that tree has to give you. And, you know, as I began doing that, like, four years back, I had a healer, uh, indigenous woman, her name was Cedar Woman. And she taught me to always go to a tree and just kind of put my hardship into it. And then breathe out whatever the tree has to give me in exchange. And I said, well, wouldn't I hurt the tree? But why would I put my pain into a tree? And she says, it's compost to them. It's energy. They love nitrogen. Like, give us any waste. So, you know, we don't need to actually go and touch the tree if you don't want to, if you're walking, but you can imagine. Mm. You can imagine all of the pain, all of the hardship, all of the coagulation or your, your story of underperformance. Fertilizer. Someone mm. else's treasure. I love that. Thank you. Actually, it reminds me of a viral video of how this guy essentially takes in, this guy's an empath, is a cartoon. This guy's an empath. And then when he meets people with their hardship or challenges, he would basically take away their pain and but store it in his body. Eventually he his entire body becomes black. And then it wasn't until he meets his dog that he was able to transmute that all that energy to the dog because the dog loves it, right? So mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing. So I appreciate that imagery. So let's transition from the personal practice to your whole philosophy is you want to empower people to experience that. So I'm curious to know why not, let's say, invest in a whole line of uh, media company that teaches people embodiment practices. Why go into, let's say, wearable technologies or a line of spas or things like that? Can you share with us a little bit of your in terms of investment, in terms of starting a company from your point of view, yeah. giving your purpose in life? Yeah, infrastructure, right? Infrastructure for emergent consciousness to stabilize here so we can have this new generation of leadership to address the problems that we're inheriting. And infrastructure is built. So when I look at telecoms, media, branding, it's critical to actually find, meet the people that you're interested in helping and serving and positioning yourself to be in their awareness at the right moment, right? Critical skill set. But also, it's, it's not the... Uh, not the structured thing that you can hold in your hand. So for me, the best brand is it, it has to have a physical product at the end of the day. And that relates to your body. So biohacking and health optimization is just direct correlate to my domain expertise. 
And I believe the future of wellness is individualized, right? And we can talk about uh, companies in that space that I'm really excited about. But when I look, I want to focus first on the wearables. So one of the reasons for, I believe, for cultural dissonance, and uh, there's a backlit screen in between people, right? There's a backlit screen that's not really organically occurring that- Right, there's there's something there I forgot to add. If you yeah. don't mind, back up a few, few sentences. You sure, said sure. you you said it has to have a product for you to be interested in. Can you explain why? Mm, tactile intelligence uh, again, aligning with the uh, the somatic psychic awareness um, and having a sensory experience in relation to a product. It becomes too cerebral if you're con- consistently existing in a digital environment. And if our identity is completely anchored in a digital avatar or a uh, or an association with a digital brand and, and, and media, that's and you're never on the creative side. If you're in, in, in film production, like creative side, there's a lot of physicality in that. But if you're just on the consuming side, it's a, it can become very cerebral, intellectual. And that I believe our future is is in the body, and I believe our future is offline and and in real life. And we are optimizing our devices to assist a more fulfilling and nutritious offline in-person experience. So I hope I've kind of addressed why I believe that there has to be some kind of touch. So, so just yeah. so that I, I, I'm, I want to make sure I, I understand you 100%, okay? <laughs> so something like a headspace or calm isn't sufficient because it's imaginative versus in the body versus something like a vibratory device or something that you can hold mm-hmm. that I had that positive feedback loop. Is that an accurate reflection yeah. of what you're trying to so say? I, I don't, I won't say they're insufficient. I'll okay. say there are many pathways to healing and you have to find one that works for you. And if, a, if, if a service is only available through a digital portal, it's really easy to turn off the portal. And the portal is actually causing harm. So maybe that portal isn't the right delivery mechanism for that healing and that medicine. So I I do like auditory delivery. So I'm really excited about what Clubhouse has to do, has to offer us. I'm really excited about spatial audio, um, like High Fidelity, Peter Diamandis is working on. Uh, And there are several other examples of spatial audio that I I believe have a huge future in in harmony with XR and AR. However, the, I think the screen is, is a dematerializing feature of our life. And within the next five years, we're going to have considerably less backlit screens in our lives. Um, and our, our phones are going to um, dematerialize and coagulate really around the ear, the wrist, and the eyewear. Um, and I actually have been speaking with Qualcomm, um, their wearables portfolio, so getting some actually in-industry arguments for why that will be and why the investment innovation pipelines in organizations such as that have consolidated in those three form factors. Um, it goes back to my reasoning. We, we share the same reasoning, right? Uh, there are different pathways to healing. We have over-invested in this portal, the screen and the backlit screen specifically. And there's a huge, this blue water in, in the device-based. Uh, oh, I see. Right. So it not, it's, it's, I believe it's a, it's honestly a more embodied and holistic way of delivering healing, whatever your offering is, but also it's a less crowded space. 
um, that the innovation potential has barely been tapped. And those folks that were seeking to build the infrastructure for more innovation uh, have an opportunity to do so. So uh, the form factor that's really exciting in that space, wrist, legacy jewelry, retrofit, embedding smart technology, rings, building platforms for, yeah, I have the Aura ring as well. Changed my life. Thank you, Harpreet. Thank you, Aura. Um, but rings providing a, a uh, essentially a plug and play or some, some kit that provides a platform for less technical uh, entrepreneurs to build in the space without having to architect their supply chain and the microcircuitry and the sensors and encoders and, and whatnot is a huge barrier to entry into the space. And there's a lot of capital looking to be in that space. So I, I really, I'm really excited by it. And, and we already nerded out on, on the kind of the, the futurist neurological applications. But just right now, uh, there's a lot of room in the bioindicator and biofeedback space for people to get more in touch with their bodies via wearables. And there's a lot of room for us to facilitate connection without a screen. And I'm, I'm really excited by those spaces. Yeah, why don't we talk about some of the interesting technologies or movements or sort of, you know, in the horizon type yeah. things that, that you've noticed? Because, you know, not all of us are well-versed, you know, being exposed to different deals or companies or pay attention to, to this space. So sure. for, you know, like, what have you seen that really excites you? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, so from the research space is a company called M-A-A-I-N-D, Mind right? Um, M-A-A-I-N-D. And they're doing that neuromorphic uh, brain-computer interface research. And they're doing group flow, group coherence, and EEG. They have this headset that um, the Emotive uh, they work with. It's another company, but Emotive makes it. And they, the mind uses, uh, gathers metadata on everything from school kids reaching neurological coherence uh, to like competitive sports players to military. And what that uh, with the measurements of EEG synchrony actually tell you about the, the outcomes and success of those participants. And it's, in short, it's, 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 they're, they're measuring when someone can, uh, for lack of a, I'm trying to layman's terms, when someone can phase lock with the group, uh, they have better outcomes. And, and we can measure it. Because that's one really exciting company. Uh, another, another space, uh, I mean, we all love Aura. Um, in the medical tech space, there are some folks working on uh, like EpiWatch. They're working on um, seizure prediction with Apple SmartWatch and uh, Johns Hopkins. Uh, yeah, EpiWatch. That's really exciting. Why not have huge social impact? Um, our, I mean, I can't be biased and talk about our stuff. Go for it. Okay, cool. So I, I think there's a huge opportunity to activate all of this jewelry, especially like family heirlooms and, and legacy jewelry. So like sororities, fraternities, graduations, right, alma mater, you have rings that are beautiful and you wear them all the time. Why not embed technology to make them functional, right? So that retrofit as a service, is a that's an emerging market and it's, it's blue water. There's very few companies in that space. So Soliana Technologies, we're working um, with a few a few a few of the uh, jewelry makers and some watchmakers on, on retrofits. And that's like, I know people that have inherited a $20,000 beautiful Rolex watch 
right? And they don't, they wear their Apple watch every day. Can we, can we actually activate that family heirloom and, and keep it alive in some way while keeping pace with innovation? Yes, we can. It's not that hard. And with some of the new chipsets that Qualcomm's produced, it's, it's actually technically very feasible. Um, really excited about that. <laughs> and I, can, I wanna go into a bioindicator that's untouched after that. If, go ahead. Yeah, okay, cool. So a lot of uh, wearables address skin conductivity, heart rate variability, um, uh, these, these, these biometrics, you know, steps, sleep, and, and it's critical that we monitor those. But what isn't being touched is these, there's a, there's this biometric characteristics of when someone is ungrounded. Mm. And mentally ungrounded or physically ungrounded. I would say they're both, they're interrelated, but if you remember back in the day, uh, fidget spinners, people were mm -hmm. experiencing that thing. That is a, it's called hyper arousal. And the time it takes you to stop fidgeting to return to homeostasis matters. And, cor and correlating that back to the stimulus time of day and other factors can unlock like very, very important data about how you're being in relation to your own ability to ground. So uh, essentially fidgeting or repetitive muscle movement is uh, it's not talked about, and I believe it's not talked about for social reasons because people don't like to be perceptible in their fidgeting because it's typically an indicator of dysregulation. Um, but we challenge that. And actually looking at from the research in neurodivergent spaces, we'll see folks with incredibly high sensitivity like Asperger or autism, they have a higher information richness and they use repetitive muscle movement to integrate all that inflow of data, sensory data. And repetitive muscle movement activates the somatic system and helps them learn faster because they're experiencing more. And in our day and age, we're experiencing so much through technology, so much information at our fingertips, and then media is just it's rapid fire content. So people develop these repetitive muscle movement twitches and whatnot. Why not take that and train people to make them imperceptible? And we can accomplish that. We can, we can track people's repetitive muscle movements and then create a culture around integrating that and, and also speak to the benefits of engaging more somatic processes in your integration. So your repetitive muscle movement isn't just a, fid a fidget or a twitch or something dysregulated. It's actually your way of accelerating learning. Mm. It's actually your way of you know, activating your like, quantum database of, of movement. So, so in, okay, okay. Let me make sure I understand what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's say I fidget, I twist my, do my, whatever thing that I do out of nervous habits. What you're saying is instead of, trying to basically quote unquote fix it or hide it, right? You actually turn it around and use this mo mo motion as a way to help integrate, help get into the body more in a more conscious way. Is that accurate of what you're yeah. trying to say? Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I, yeah. And, and it's a way of, so when you have more somatic activation around learning, you learn more, right? If you could be listening to an audiobook and dancing, you would take in more information. Right, because you're you're anchoring all of these neurological processes related to movement to the data input. So yeah, so it's the same as like listening to a song when you're when you're studying and then playing that song later. You'll remember all the. It's because there are emotional tags, all the memories in, in your 
in your in your storage. So yeah, so uh, and I want to speak a little bit to uh, young people with incredibly high IQs often develop fidget, right? So children, uh, and I know this from a, a mentor that I met in the intentional community space named Michael Rios, and he worked with child psychologists for, for incredibly high IQ young people. And this was back in the 80s before stimming and fidgeting was as well researched. And he said the ones that were the most successful that grow up to be the huge contributors that we have in the world, um, they made their stimming imperceptible. So they did like the Gion Mudra and that was a complete exploration of one fingerprint against the other. And that satisfied all of the somatic awareness and then became imperceptible, right? Or they brought it into the breath being the fidget. Mm. Actually experiencing the infinitely higher and higher resolution awareness of the breath that we can access as we engage it. It almost reminds me of um, transcendental meditation, right? Basically the whole idea of transcendental meditation for, I know you, you're probably aware of it, but for anyone who isn't aware of it is, the whole idea is you're giving a mantra and so whenever your mind goes to la la land you basically use that mantra to come back to to your meditation so it's a good way to essentially keep your busy mind focusing on a particular thing while you can actually do the work so similarly with what you're trying to do whether it's the mudra holding or the the fidget thing or whatever as mm -hmm. a way to productively ground and anchor the body to towards a particular type of integration is that roughly the idea yeah i know you're right on you're right on mm. and i want this is there's an opportunity you know that the, the the springboard into this thread was around why wearables when we have so many SaaS platforms that are infinitely scalable and i believe that engaging the body in the process just exponentially increases someone's um with like the stickiness of that that practice so i, I don't need if I, if I have uh, the, the benefits of the somatic awareness and I'm getting to the breath or I'm getting to uh, a yogic posture and, and say I'm, on, I'm, I'm dysregulating again and I'm going back, well, I have a ring on my finger and that ring measures my fidgeting and, that, and that'll, that can tell me. And if I'm fidgeting too much, it can then alert to my phone that reminds me of the yogic process and the breath process and the and, and transcendental meditation even. Right, it reminds me of the SaaS platform that facilitates meditation, but there has to the physicality is just a, a deeper companion in that process that holds us accountable. And it's like I said in the beginning, training wheels. Yeah, uh, during my PhD days, so my my whole background is the systems design for continuous measurement of what's happening in the body, so on, so on. So really appreciate sort of your lens and looking at the world the one thing that i dismissed when i was younger was the whole idea of uh, vibration mm -hmm. just like it can't be that simple how how does vibration help train a surgeon to to operate a lap, you know, laparoscopic surgery like how how is that training but the more i realize more I understand actually you know ultimately it's about that positive feedback loop so if you're doing something right, it vibrates, or if you're making a mistake, it vibrates. Then through the body, it learns very quickly. So I appreciate this conversation. Hmm. Yeah, no, thank you. And I, and I actually 
I didn't know you had that much domain expertise in the space. So yeah, we, we want to train each other because like, there's so much more we're capable of. And the, the overarching thesis is actually building that infrastructure for this emergent consciousness. And that requires us to really master using this vehicle that we were born through. So let's, um, let's segue out of the, the geeky technology futurist talk yeah. for a moment. I want to talk about um, geek island and some esoteric things. Okay. Sure. Yes. So let's talk about consciousness for a bit. In my mind, why I'm particularly excited and you know nerdy about consciousness, because to me, it is the source of my misery as well as the source of my bliss. Right, consciousness. If I understand how to master this, the mind, then then I can help navigate my own subjective re, uh, experience. So I'm curious to know, and, and also as a as an innovator, if I then the more I can let go of my biases, my my illusions, my cognitive you know construct that I made up myself, then then the more objective I can be to create something that will be of of service right we are what we make we make what we are right so i want to make sure that whatever i make comes from that pure as as, as pure of a space as possible mm. so i'm curious how why are you interested in consciousness and and how how does it serve you as a creator as an innovator as an investor sure love this so for me i believe that consciousness is existent and our our five senses are uh, almost a funnel or a filter that creates the, the experience of our identity and our ego. And that's actually, it's, it's, it's able to be malleable, right? We can change that. We can let go of pieces. We can restructure it. We can, we can be like water and then we can be like ice and we can be like water again. And in that, um, I believe that in positioning ourselves as far upstream as possible by whatever methodology resonates with us, we can tune in to the actual system, the planet, the human collective, and we can see where are the person we've thought we've been the whole time, the person we've been pretending to be, that human that we are, that's our antenna, right? We can look at that and we can look at the whole system and where there is need and discern where we can allocate our resources to maximize assets and minimize waste. And then when we lose intensity or come back down into 3D consciousness here and now, chronological existence, we can maintain that point of Kairos, that point of timelessness where we had systemic perspective and we can continually use that as a compass. So to make it, to concrete that a little bit, uh, Soyana Technologies was founded at a, uh, there was an indigenous medicine ceremony and we were invited through the Native American church to sit with the Ikeole elders. And we didn't know we were gonna found a business at the time, but we sat with them and I had this vision of a day without screens and jewelry that was, they were all magical elves with jewelry on that was able, enabling us to communicate with one another and be as effective as we are with a typical user interface of today. 
but we were doing it in motion and joy, light and beautiful. And then I connected with two other people, uh, Valeria Fuentes and Isabel, and we, they had the same exact vision in that ceremony. We had all taken the same upstream perspective on consciousness, realized our humans and what our humans were good at and what we could do in connection and saw that vision of a future. And then when we came back, we said, hey, this is what needs to happen. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's about a, a, engaging a new perspective and seeing where need is and seeing who you are and how you can be of service. Mm. Yeah, one one of my one of my dreams. Uh, I earlier when I first got uh, you know acquainted with plant medicine is I, everyone every entrepreneur should do plant medicine mm. uh, because it does unleash new ideas as well as you know old wounds and all these things right so we can actually step into new identities. Mm -hmm. But then, but then, but then, but then I have matured since then and actually thought, okay, plant medicine isn't for everyone, you know, meet them where they're at. If they want to choose this path, fantastic, great. It, there's a lot of value there, but if they're not ready, then, you know, don't force it on them. So, <clears throat> but, but nonetheless, I still love the whole idea of having a founding team do plant medicine together because you get to the truth really fast. You know, so, uh, you know, whether there's alignment or misalignment really, really fast. And then that brings stuff that you can talk about and work through. So from my perspective, that's a great accelerator mm. to synergy. Curious to know if you agree, disagree with me at all. I'm right there with you. Uh, it's not for everybody. You, a key piece in, you know, I do a lot of work now integrating people who are entrepreneurs who have started that path and have somehow concluded that the the right action is to, to disintegrate and go directly back to nature. And I'm like, well, we have a PhD in this and this, and let's take some of this new ecstasis and connection and oneness and integrate it into the asset that is you. And, you know, let's be in the game together with all this new awareness. So I agree with you. It's not for everybody. And I agree with you that some people who go into it end up disintegrating. And there's now a service to be offered in that space. Um, but for those who are feeling called to it, and uh, we can point to why, right? People being unchurched, people having a lack of uh, global mythology to match globalization on the planet. So there's, there's actually some real space where uh, ceremonial right relation to these master plants has emerged in the culture as a tool. Um, and people are finding pathways to position it as something that could help them. And that's very aware of that. So with that awareness, what responsibility do we have? Well, to be of service. If someone's going to start studying a subject that we've been studying for some time, let's study together. Uh, I, I, do, I do also agree that a founding team working in this way, uh, you, you strip naked, right? You remember the name you had before your parents were born. And you remember your, your we're a family. And... What do we have? We have this planet supporting us. And is what we're doing in relation with all that we say we are and our values. And you cannot lie in those spaces. So I, I always, I believe as well, like you have to slow down to go fast. And in, in these settings, you maybe 
it's different for everybody, but I experience a deep slowing down and a simultaneous shedding. That's a very fast process. So that experience of slowing down to go fast happens and it happens intensely and it happens in a chronologically dense timeline. So that, that feels perfectly aligned with the entrepreneurial path. Um, last piece is that entrepreneurship itself is a ceremony. Yep. Entrepreneurship itself is a spiritual path. And yep. if you, if you want to use tools to echo that message, great, but you're, you're, you're in the ceremony already, whether or not you use them. Right. And, and I think that piece about building something and offering it to the world is a rite of passage is a part of spiritual development is a part of emotional maturity and, and the lessons that are around that are also part of that. Yeah. Uh, I have actually recently gone through a startup implosion mm. and I want to get into the details of it, but this re having gone through that experience and I'm super grateful for everything. So there's no resentment, no negative emotions about whatever happened, but nonetheless, what I realized is had I uh, gone through, let's say a ceremony together, all that stuff would have surfaced a lot sooner. That's why I'm even more bullish about the idea of having, <laughs> you know, do ceremonies together as a founding team. I don't know if you ever done that with your founders, that people that you work with, but that's something that I always fantasize about. That's interesting. That's interesting. I'm so first I, I hear you and um, I trust that you have the skills to navigate the implosion well and recognize the infinite game and finding that alignment. And the alignment may not be walking in close proximity, but being aware of each other in far proximity, right? And that determination of how much space is right for relationship is part of the infinite game. So I, I trust that you're going to have success in the, in, the, in the future with these folks. Um, with, with, uh, with me and any implosions via plant medicine introduction into the space, uh, there was, uh, let's, let's say, 2017 when we first started uh, the pilots for what would grow into a SaaS company in, in, in affordable housing, a host home. That was, I, I started working with plants around that time um, to, to engage some of the trauma and depression that I was experiencing in my life. Um, having just lost, uh, you know, when I first came out as trans, there was a, a group of maybe four trans folks that I was hanging out with and they were all in the survival economy. And I was, you know, working at a cafe and then becoming an owner of a cafe. So I was on a different trajectory. Those four aren't alive anymore, right? Mm. And yeah, and, and the, some of those deaths are tragic, right? There's a lot, um, the, the, the details of which, um, it, you know, you could see them on the news, right? There's a lot of murder. Um, mm. And that's common in the community. But I started using plants to, to had read that you can treat depression with this. And then when I found ceremonial plant medicine, I realized you can actually induce neuroplasticity and within the right container, heal trauma. So I started that path and my co-founder at the time did not go on that path. And what I began to notice was his charging towards pain and charging towards trauma to be the hero. And I had begun a different directionality towards returning to center and cleaning my house such that I could be of service in helping others clean their house. So the, the theory of change shifted and the dissonance happened. And 
that in communication created a, a, a dialogue around which tools are the right tools and is Ava's path right or was his path right? And, you know, no one's right. It's, we're in different spaces and different places. And it's right for you, it's right for you, but it doesn't mean that we're aligned. So I won't say it was an implosion, but it was a decoupling um, early on. Mm, I like that. Decoupling. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll start using that word. I think that's probably a little bit more precise. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I absolutely love him. Like, he's a great guy, and he's going to do great things in the world. And, you know, we are all at different stages of development at different times. So honoring where we are, right? We don't want everybody to get to the exact same archetype that we are embodying at a given moment we want them to to get the next step on their journey yeah I, I, i'm asking these questions not necessarily for my sake or your sake i'm really using our experiences as a teaching tool for those that are on this path to find their own harmony from within as well as the harmony from within their founding team as well as their desire to make an impact in the world, right? So I'm, I'm, these are just data points for them to, hey, you know, this is what worked for us, this is what isn't. But one of the things that I do hear in, in your sharing the story is the harmonious piece, right? Ultimately is that um, being in harmony at home, in the body, as well as being in harmony with your co-founder. And if not, it's okay to uncouple. Yeah, yeah. 100%, 100%. Yeah. Um, let's jam a bit on Clubhouse and similar infrastructures, as yeah. especially as young innovators, thought leaders. So, so you've been involved in multiple different communities, from global change makers to summit to I'm sure other things now, and you're leveraging infrastructure like Clubhouse. I'm curious to know, from your perspective, what infrastructure has been the most catalyzing to bring ideas together collaborators together momentum of an audience to you know had that uh, market you know founder market fit oh, i love that there so let's start in clubhouse and why i like it right and then some, yeah. of, the, some of the challenges right so so it's it's not as commodified as other spaces right uh there's not ads there's there's you doesn't really matter how many followers you have, although some people believe it does, and that's an artifact of other platforms, I think. Uh, and you have this, you're, you, you have a little bit of that privacy that you have in, say, Facebook or Instagram, where you can scroll around and find out what interests you, but it's not fully private because then your friend could show up and see you. So it's this new thing where I can jump into an esoteric conversation around global mythologies and emerging consciousness. And excuse me, it can be someone talking about energy work. Um, and I can be in there about entrepreneurship. And then I'm suddenly outed myself. Then I see like someone who is interested in investing in us who jumps in that room because I'm in that room. And then he's like, Ava, you're into this stuff. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yes, I am. Hey, great comic <laughs> me. Um, and it's just, you're, there's no hiding, but there mm. is, there is this perception of privacy. It's, it's an artifact from other platforms. And mm -hmm. then it, that's not the case in Clubhouse necessarily or in the same way. So it, it, it attracts people to, uh, to each other more rapidly because people are, want, you know, I can fake interest to something if I'm just 
reading about it or if I'm just liking it on Facebook or curating my feed on another platform. But I can't fake interest as, as easily if I'm going to listen and participate in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Right? I'll immediately get repelled from that conversation if I begin sharing in a room that I'm not supposed to be in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it engages a lot of that embodied technology of coherence by and, and repelling people who are trying to fake uh, being part of a space. Mm. And, right. So, so that it, it shows you who you really are and who you really vibe with because we can hear it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, using myself as an example, even let's say even topically, I'm interested in whatever the thing is, but if the not the right people in the right room, as soon as they speak, I'm like, let me get out of here. <laughs> I don't want to hear this person speaking. It's just yeah. energetically it doesn't fit for me. Whatever that, you know, hey, all the respect, you know, to whatever they have done, just where if that person is in a room, I'm I'm let me go search something else to to listen in. And wish them all the success in the world, right? But there's a point and, and it'll be one room that's going on for four or five hours and I'm in it, I'm in it, I'm in it, and then it takes a turn and it's like, oh cool, that's what's happening now. Awesome. Awesome. I did that already. Or I, I, I'm good on that right now. Maybe I have more work to do because it's coming into my field, but I'm not engaging that, that part right now. I'm going to go engage this part. Um, but maybe making a mental note of that reaction, making a mental note that, oh, I had a, I had a, a disgust or a repulsion or an aver- a repulsion or an aversion or some kind of dissonance. So maybe I should explore that later and see if there's something there that is unconscious in me. Yeah. But do I have the capacity right now? And should I, should I architect that? Uh, so Clubhouse is, is an accelerant for finding your people. And mm-hmm. it's an accelerant to just, it's, it's much more real. You're, you're actually there. Um, you can't, it's almost like a Burning Man, right? There, there are no spectators. You're a part of it. Um, and I encourage people to get on stage as much as possible. You know, the expertise hierarchy is a scam. That's meant to keep people with good integrity out. Like get there, get in there, and speak your truth, and, and be heard, and, and contribute, and, and you're you're a part of it. Um, that this isn't the the only platform, though. And I, and I I, I want to speak a, hesitantly a little bit to what is possible with virtual reality um, as a, as a platform right now as well, um, and what I think the future is in extended reality. Um, Some. I go there for a little bit, right? Go for it. Yeah. So we have the capacity to connect across space while anchoring in time. And video chat accomplishes a lot of that. But the, the experience of virtual reality allows you to play with embodiment, play with expression, right, in a new way. And it allows for collaboration. So it will be really exciting ways. So in, in architecture... Oh, yeah. And, we, and when you say collaboration, can you unpack that? Yeah. For you? Mm-hmm. So in architecture, they, they, you can make scaled mock-ups and then you can have your client, you can drop your client into it and they can walk around in this giant building that hasn't been built yet and they can see it at full size. And you're in this, you can move stuff around while they're in the building. So there's immense feedback, like shortening of, of feedback in that. And we've been in that space for a couple of years. Um, but at Soyana, we also use it for looking at product, right? We can have the 3D, more, 3D, 3D sculpted product, and we can look at it, feel it, play with it, talk about it, um, bring out other 3D models of, of other watches or other eyewear or other earpieces and compare and contrast 
in, in, a, in a much more immersive environment. And we can be in the same office together. So spatial is the app I'm referring to, but we can be in the same office as our designer, even though he's in the UK and, and then, you know, other partners in the UAE and I'm over in Baltimore on the East Coast of the United States. And we can all be in the same office talking. That's huge, right? And we can go to the movies together and we can go to the big screen. That's huge. Now, is it healthy, right? Is a backlit screen strapped to your face the way we want to go? Not so sure. Not so sure. Play with fire. Don't get burned. Regulate your screen time. But, but it's something new and it's helping us navigate our new normal. So yeah. I'm excited by the platforms. Yeah, but human beings were attracted to shiny objects. So yeah. if you tell your kid, hey, don't play video game, you're only limited to, so I'll, I'll share this publicly. Yeah. My mom used to limit my video game playing time to like half an hour. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, mom, no problem, half an hour. And then at like three in the morning, I will like wake up to go to, <laughs> to like play a video game in front of TV for hours and on. And then I always have to like watch, you know, see if there's moms in the back like at four in the morning. Anyways, my point yeah. being, human beings in general, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, they want to do what they want to do. So, uh, you know, so yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I'm curious what games you play when you were younger. Um, I was into Halo a lot, and I think it informed my interest in wearable technologies and augmented reality. Um, <laughs> but um, okay, so bring bring back because I wanted to make your experience uh, a teaching uh, tool for others going through this as well, right? So bring it back to you are an ideas person. That's obvious. You're an entrepreneur. You want you are thinking about systematic change and innovation and so forth. You're a big thinker. That's that's very obvious. So, and then you are involved with a lot of different communities yeah. from Summit to Global Changers to Economic Forum, these type of platforms. And then now you're involved with Clubhouse. So for someone else who is navigating this whole idea uh, space, yeah. Yeah. what would you say for them? Like can you, knowing what you know now, can you give them like an 80-20, hey, do these things. Let's say identify a mentor, you know, identify your niche, and then see how you can relate and da-da-da-da. So that way they have some kind of map yeah. to go on. Because then I, I say the one of the last things before you answer, because there is a lot of pain for someone who really want to make a big difference in the world, but they don't have a path. And so I'm curious to know if you can advise that person who have a lot of desire to make an impact, but really don't know how to go about it, or they have just a lot of ideas and have so many ideas, they don't even know who to give it to. What would you say to these people? Yeah. Um, first is recenter trust, right? Trust that if you know, you're know you on purpose and you're doing everything you can to, to better yourself and seek that alignment, um, and remember who you are, then if you trust, then the tools will present themselves and the mentors will present themselves. So keep going and keep centering trust and being present. Um, the, other, the other piece is really learn um, where your no's are. Uh, because in, in giving your no's, you honor your yes. And, and, and that is, there are some things that when you envision yourself doing two or three or four years from now and think about the sensation experience of waking up into that, how does that feel? 
how does it feel to introduce yourself as that, to talk to people as that, and listen to the no and listen to the yes. But if you have that that future no, and and you and you're you're pushing through, uh, the trust that the world will respond and push back. So I want I want to say that honor your no and 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 trust and be present. Mm. Beautiful. Hey, Matt, I. I really thank you for just showing. I mean, we literally just met at a clubhouse and I felt like, hey, I'm talking to a kindred spirit. Thank you so much for just being willing to go places, you know, to talk about your fluidity and in, in your transition, your gender, to your different identities for entrepreneurship, to, you know, as a futurist, as an investor, how you actually think about the future stuff. I actually don't really get a whole lot of chance to talk to people about the future of technologies and and you know sort of the secondary tertiary impact of it so i so appreciate that i'm sure those who are watching will appreciate that as well thank you just being so generous of being who you are ck thank you for being generous of your time and your energy and cultivating the space so so of course um love to connect more on clubhouse love to get to know your audience a little bit and you know keep doing this Keep being here and showing up. So, so for, for anyone who is interested in following your work, where should we send them to? Yeah, avapipitone.com. Uh, my website is the really the space to find me and connect with what I'm up to. Uh, I'm on other platforms too, but I like the curation of the website. Uh, social media has some aspects to it that I think miss out on what's possible through a completely curated space. So avapipitone.com. Uh, you'll see you'll see my writings there, and I'm going to be releasing some blog posts there soon. Good. And I'd love to get to know y'all. Good. Do you have a newsletter where they can opt in? Because actually, I'm I'm watching over here. Some some people already want to connect with you. Oh yeah, um, we're we're just talking about it in a newsletter. So I'm I'm really interested right now in some of the stuff that's going on in the Green New Deal in California and some of the United Nations Sustainability Goals and some new like material science and some new water filtration, some really interesting technologies that are coming out. And I just want to make sure as many people as possible know about them. So yes, let's like stay tuned for a newsletter. Um, but it doesn't exist yet. But All right. All right. Well, don't be a professionist. MailChimp, you can get it done. Today. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll, we'll talk. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, have a great one.